Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. So last Sunday, we began in this series in the book of Colossians, as is our pattern as a church that we take books of the Bible and we work through them paragraph at a time. We study them, we seek to apply them, we trust the Spirit of God to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so last week we began the first paragraph, verses 3 through 8, and we saw how the gospel works. And in this church in Colossae, in modern-day Turkey, the gospel was at work. A man by the name of Epiphras had taken the gospel that he had received from a man by the name of Paul, And he comes back to this city and he shares with them the change that God had made in his life. And a church is established and a new gospel outpost is born. And we see the evidences, and we saw last week, the evidences of that gospel at work in the the opening paragraph. But now, this week, today, as Paul, the writer of this letter, hears about the gospel that is at work and that is transforming, he prays a prayer for them. And this prayer is that Christ would increase. So I've entitled this message this morning, More Jesus. More Jesus. Take a look at it with me if you would. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We'll read down through the end of this paragraph. Verse 14. Paul, the writer here who was an apostle, says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And may God bless the reading and now the application of his word. As we sit in this text for the next 30 or 40 minutes or so, the big idea that sits over top of this paragraph is this. Jesus, above all, begins when Jesus is my all. Jesus, above all, that's what the theme of the book of Colossians is essentially about. Jesus, above all, this starts and this begins in my life and in your life when Jesus is my all. We have had a ton of fun as parents, Amy and I, with our youngest son. We have four boys The oldest is 12, the youngest is 4, and our youngest boy is just coming alive with personality. He is starting to explore and understand the world. Sometimes it's because of his brothers and what they're introducing him to. Sometimes he's being introduced to things prematurely because of his brothers. But regardless, the world is coming alive to him, and his wheels are starting to turn, and he's starting to process things and understand things, and it has just been so much fun to watch him talk and to see him process the world around him as his mind develops. Well, the other day, I was helping him out one morning, and I was getting him a bowl of cereal. 
And so I went into the kitchen with Tyson, and I got the, the bowl out, I got the spoon out, I got the milk, I got the cereal, and I'm, I'm beginning to pour this cereal into the bowl, and I look at Tyson, and I say, Tyson, I'm going to give you a little bit of cereal. And without missing a beat, he looks up at me, he says, Daddy, I don't want a little bit, I want a bigger bit. You know, grammatically, that may not be proper, but honestly, it kind of makes sense, you know? I mean, if a, if a little bit is like a Tyson-sized portion, then a bigger bit must be like a dad-sized portion. Yeah, I don't want a little bit. Don't just give me a little bit of that. Give me a bigger bit of that. And as Paul is praying for this church that he's, he's hearing about through this man, Epaphras, he doesn't want them just to have a little bit of Jesus. He wants them to have a bigger bit of Jesus more of Christ. He uses phrases like being filled with knowledge, fully pleasing, increasing with all power. It wasn't enough for Paul to just watch them live their life going through the motions with just a small portion of the realization of Christ in their life, but that they would increase and abound more and more and more and more with the presence of Christ in their life. Now, I wish that life were still as simple as when we were four-year-olds, when the hardest decision we had to make was how much cereal we wanted poured into our bowl. But the reality is life becomes more complicated, doesn't it? Life becomes complex. We have schedules that become bloated with events and places that we need to be and things that we need to do. We have priorities that oftentimes feel like they're competing with one another and we don't know which ones are the biggest rocks to put in the jar first and we become distracted in our attention because we've got notifications going off and text messages coming in and we've got emails that we need to check and so many times as Christians, we know that what we need is more of Christ but oftentimes he gets pushed to the edges because of all the other things going on in our life. And I am struck as I read Paul's prayer for these people. And his prayer is so different than my prayers often are. Oftentimes when we pray, we're praying, things like, we're praying for things like traveling mercies, that God would bless the food to our bodies. Right? We're, we're praying that, that our needs would be met, that our health would get better, and that we would get that new job. And those things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but think about how Paul prays. Paul's prayers were focused on Christ increasing in their life. I wonder what would change if our prayers became more of a reflection of the prayers that Paul prayed for the people that he loved. He's praying for this fullness more of Jesus, not in the sense that we don't get all of him at salvation. I'm not talking of that because we do get all of Christ, but maybe it's about Christ getting more of us, more of our priorities, more of our schedules, more of our attention, not just a little bit, but a bigger bit, that our lives would be filled with the knowledge of Christ. And so Jesus, above all, begins when Jesus is my all. So the question becomes this morning, how do I know Jesus is my all? There are four indicators from this text that we will see from Paul's prayer that help us to see and know that Christ is our all. It's going to look like this. Jesus is my all when, number one, I know what he wants. Jesus is my all when I know what he wants. Look at it in verse 9. Paul prays and he says, And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom 
and understanding. Have you ever wondered, what's God's will? I mean, maybe, maybe right now you're processing some things. You, you've got some decisions to make, and you're thinking to yourself, man, if somebody could just tell me what is God's will for my life right now. The will of God is not meant to be something that is mysterious, like it's some hidden, tucked away reality that we need to go search for and find and uncover. The will of God is not esoteric, where only the elite can find it and only some special knowledge. If you get some special knowledge, you'll somehow be privy to it. The will of God is not even meant to be complex, as though it's some series of actions that if we just get them all in the right order, we'll somehow unlock this will of God. As a matter of fact, Scripture seems to indicate that the will of God is something concrete and something that we can know. In the same book that we're studying in chapter 4, Paul will write, we'll study this in a couple of weeks, chapter 4, verse 12, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Maybe you grew up with Romans 12, 2, memorized, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That will of God is something that God desires for us to know. So as Paul is writing and as he is praying, he is praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So God's will, at least according to this prayer, is first spiritual. We often think of the will of God in terms of what is physical, what is tangible. Like should I, should I take this job or should I take this job? Should I, should I date that person? Should I not date that person? Should I make this purchase or should I make that purchase? And the will of God, yes, very much infiltrates into the physical and the tangible and the decisions that need to be made, but it is first spiritual. And we see that right in the way that Paul prays. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, here it is, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, the grammatical structure of this particular verse allows the word spiritual to connect to both of those words, understanding as well as wisdom. So it's not that he's saying there is spiritual wisdom and then normal, everyday, average understanding. It's, it's spiritual wisdom and it is also spiritual understanding. So the word spiritual just simply means from the Spirit. It is something that the Spirit of God, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have been indwelt by the Spirit. We are now the dwelling place of God. And so as we walk in the Spirit, we are filled with spiritual knowledge and understanding that comes from and through the Spirit of God. So again, it's not that it's some complex, far-off, hard-to-find thing. It's just a matter of us walking in step with the Spirit. The word wisdom is how to live. The word understanding is how to think. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe you've wished that you had some constant source of wisdom and understanding that you could go to every time you had a question, every time you had a decision to make? Well, the reality is you do. Through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16 that the Spirit was given to guide us into all truth. Think about that. You have a life coach. You have someone who is coming alongside to guide you with wisdom, with understanding that is, that is not fleshly, that is not worldly, and that is not demonic, which would be the other sources of wisdom. But it is spiritual because it is from the Spirit. So what we need as followers of Jesus is we need to always keep a full tank filled with the Spirit so that we might be knowledgeable, that we might know what His will is with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 9, he says that you may be filled that, that word means to be filled up, to be complete. 
Have you ever taken a road trip with somebody that always wanted to keep the tank topped off? That's frustrating for somebody like me because I'm a destination kind of a person. But you just leave a gas station and you're, you're a couple of miles down the road and the tank's reading like three quarters full. And they're like, hey, man, we need to pull over. We need to find a, a pit stop so we can top her off. And you're thinking, dude, we got like 250 miles before we really need to be thinking about more fuel. And, and while someone like that may not be very helpful when you're trying to make a road trip, understand this. Keeping a full tank is essential to understanding and knowing what God wants. A full tank of the spirit, a full tank of the understanding and the wisdom that comes from and through the spirit of Christ in your life. You might be wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I keep, a, how do I keep it topped off? How do I keep it full? Well, here's some things I found in my own life that helped me to keep a full tank of the spirit so that I might know the will of God through spiritual wisdom and understanding. You can, you can keep a full tank by intentionally spending time with God undistracted in his word and in prayer. Intentional, undistracted time with God. Let me tell you, there is no substitute for you being with your creator. You say, well, I'm kind of new to Christianity. I'm, I've just started following Jesus. What does that really mean? It, it, it means exactly what it sounds like. You don't have to be a deep-thinking theologian. You don't have to be scholarly and have a seminary degree. But you, sitting alone with God, with a Bible open, talking to him and allowing him to whisper back to you, undistracted, intentional time in his presence fills you up. I've also found that just simply asking God. James talks about if we lack wisdom, we can ask God. Going to God and asking him, God, what is your will? I'm seeking to understand the path that you would have me walk or the decision that you would have me make. So ask and then listen and then obey. You ask and then you listen to his response and then you follow in obedience. And I have often thought uh, to myself and even encouraged others, when I don't know what to do, I just keep doing the last thing God told me to do. If you're like, God, I don't know the next step. I don't know the next door I'm to walk through. I don't know the next decision I'm supposed to make. When you don't know the next move that you are supposed to make that God might have for your life, keep doing the last thing he told you to do. Just stay faithful in obedience to him, and it keeps you full. It keeps that tank full. But then I've also found that talking to a godly mentor, maybe somebody in your life who has been down the road a little bit further than you, they have wisdom that you may not have or perception that you may not have. They, they, they have experience that you may not have. And so going to them and saying, hey, I've got a decision I need to make. Could you speak into this? What do you sense that God might be doing in my life? That often helps us to stay full of that spiritual wisdom and that spiritual understanding that is not of ourself, as the proverb says. Don't lean on your own understanding. It is not of this world and it is not of the devil. It is of the spirit. Jesus is my all when I know what he wants. Yes, God has physical, tangible things that he wants you to know. But first, we must seek spiritual wisdom and understanding from his spirit in order to walk in that path. Number two, Jesus is my all when I walk in his will. When I walk in his will. I want you to see this in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing 
in the knowledge of God. Verse 10, that phrase, so as to walk, verse 10 is connected to verse 9. In other words, walking in his will is connected to knowing what he wants. When you know what God wants, it shapes and influences how you live and the decisions you make and the choices that you make. The challenge oftentimes for us is making that connection between what we know and how we live. We know that we shouldn't drive above 65 miles an hour, but oftentimes we still drive 75 miles an hour. We know what we're supposed to do, but oftentimes we don't make that connection with how we actually live. And I have found as, uh, over, uh, with over 15 years of being a pastor that oftentimes in the lives of Christians, it's not so much knowing what God wants, but actually living according to what we know God wants. That's the struggle. That's the challenge. That's the difficulty. It's connecting the dots. And following Jesus is really all about connecting the dots. One of the most consequential therefores in all of Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is broken up into two main sections. The first three chapters is all about the what, who Jesus is and what he has done. It's theological, it's doxological, it's, it's, it focuses on Christ and his work. And then you get to chapter 4 and it changes to practical. And in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul, who wrote Colossians, writes Ephesians, and he says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And that therefore is meant to connect what we just learned about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished to our everyday life. And as followers of Christ, we don't just want to know what God wants. We also want to walk in his will. Philippians 1.27, Paul again says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Let the way that you live be consistent with what you know to be true about Christ. We could call this spiritual traction. Spiritual traction. I grew up on the East Coast, which means we had snow in the winter. We don't get much of that around here. And growing up as a kid, we had one of, those, one of those massive station wagons, you know, the really cool kind with the seat in the back that faced backwards so you could make faces at the people who were behind you as your dad was driving. So we had one of those massive station wagons. And I remember one time the station wagon got snowed in. And I was probably seven or eight years old, but I remember my dad, as he walked down to that car I was with him, he explained to me that there is a right and a wrong way to try to get out of a snowbank. There was a right and a wrong way to try to get traction in the snow. You see, the wrong way is you get in the driver's seat and you just floor it. Because what happens is you spin those tires, which melts the snow, and then it immediately freezes and turns into ice, and now you're in a worse situation than when you started. So instead, you ease on the gas. And as you ease on the gas in that snow, you slowly begin to gain some traction so that you hopefully can get your car out of that snowbank. See, what happened there is that my dad's knowledge informed his actions. What he knew to be true about getting a car out of snow influenced how he got the car out of snow. And what needs to happen in our spiritual lives is that we gain traction. What we know needs to influence how we live. What we know the will of God is, point number one, starts to actually gain traction in how we walk and in how we live, point number two. So this is what God desires. 
And what happens in our life when we gain traction? Well, Paul articulates it right there in verse 10. He says in the second half that we will be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's what happens when you start to gain spiritual traction, when what you know begins to be lived out in your life. You, you begin to bear fruit through good works. Bearing fruit is the evidence of the work of God in your life. But then also you increase in the knowledge of God. Does that sound familiar? Well, that's what he said in verse 9. That, that you, would, you would be filled with knowledge through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, as we walk according to that knowledge, we are also increasing. You say, well, that sounds a little circular. Well, think of it, instead of thinking of it circular, think of it as an ascending spiral. That as you know what is true, you begin to walk in what is true. And as you walk in what is true, you begin to know more of God. And as you begin to know more of God, you begin to walk in what is true. And you, you continue to ascend as you know and as you live, you gain knowledge in how to continue living. And so as we are desiring more of Christ in our life, Jesus is my all when I know what he wants and when I walk in his will. I wonder this morning, what would change in your life if you were to begin gaining some spiritual traction? What would be different? What would be different about your soul health and your relationship with God? What would be different in your relationships with other people? What would be different in your schedule and how you prioritize your time? What would be different even in your finances and how you spend your money if there would be some spiritual traction where what you know to be true actually starts to gain some traction in your life in how you live? God's desire for our lives is that we would not just know what Jesus wants and be full of that knowledge, but that we would also walk and live according to what we know he wants in our lives. Jesus is my all when I walk in his will. Number three, Jesus is my all when I connect to his power. When I connect to his power, I want you to see this in verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, i got to be honest. Paul is, he's kind of overdoing it a little bit here in his language. He's saying, he's saying I want to get all, I want to get power with all power through the one who has glorious power. Like this kind of supercharged power. But he's overemphasizing it because of just how much we need it. And we, we've got to understand that the power that Christ is offering to us today is different from every other source in our lives. Scholars say that this is holy living through divine enabling. So we're talking about knowing what he wants, then gaining action and actually walking according to what he wants. But it's not through our own strength. It's because we're connected to his power we studied this a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 15 when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. As we abide, that's the connection, as we abide in that relationship and make our home with Christ, that source of power begins to flow into our lives and even through our lives. What are the benefits of his power? Well, there's two right here in this text. He says, being strengthened with all power, for all endurance and patience. So there is strength, but there is also stamina. Strength, that's for those who are weak. If you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're feeling depleted, you feel like you don't have what it takes. 
He has come to give you strength. But then also stamina. Strength is for the weak. Stamina is for the weary. Those who have run out of strength, those who are feeling depleted, those who are feeling winded and exhausted. He says in verse 11, the strength that he's giving is for all endurance and patience. Those are very close synonyms, but they're not identical. You see, endurance is circumstantial. Patience is relational. Endurance is because of the hardship and the trial that you're going through. Patience is because of the people in your life. Anybody need a little patience? I got somebody in my life right now and I need some patience. So you might be here and you're, you're, you're feeling like you're under it. You're feeling like you're, you're going through it and it just seems like trial after trial after trial just seems to be hitting you and pounding you down. He has come to give you strength, but he's come to also give you stamina, the endurance that you need and the patience that you need. Kind of reminds me of what the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 40. I'll put it up here on the screen, verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When you are connected to Christ, that is the kind of power that you have. It's his power. So here's what we need. It's time for us to surrender our self-sufficiency. It's time for us to lay down our own strength and our own ability and our own wrestling for control in our lives. And i got to be honest, the word surrender, it's a little intimidating. The word surrender, it's, it's a little scary because it means that there are some unknown things to come. Surrender is not easy. And I'm not promising you this morning that when you surrender self-sufficiency that it's going to be easy. But, but while surrender isn't easy, it's always worth it. Because what you gain on the other side of surrender is far greater than what you, what you possess by trying to keep and by trying to hold on to. But surrender also means that I don't have control. And that's hard for a lot of us. We like to be in control. We, we like to have our lives organized in such a way that there are no surprises. We like to know what's coming. But when you decide that you are going to surrender your self-sufficiency, it means that you no longer have control. But I have good news. Somebody greater than you will then gain control. The one who is all strength, the one who is all power, when you surrender your self-sufficiency, now he is in control of your life. But surrender also means that it's time to let go. And you might be here this morning and you're holding on. And you're white-knuckling it. And you know, you know that you need to surrender because you need Christ's power and Christ's allegiance and Christ's authority in your life. And you've been white-knuckling it and you've been holding on to it. And you know that surrender is a little bit of a scary word because it means you've got to release it. But could I just encourage you and really even challenge you and call you this morning to surrender. Let go. And let God be your source of strength and your source of power. Stay plugged in to Jesus. Earlier this year, Amy and I took a trip to Nashville, and we rented a car. And we decided we were going to splurge a little bit, and so we rented a Tesla. Now, I have already bragged on that Tesla in a previous message, so I'm not going to do that again right now. Needless to say, we enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. More for me probably than Amy, but regardless... 
So like any car that you rent, when you return the car, you've got you've to return it filled up or in this case, charged up. And so we were in this remote little town outside of Nashville. And so we were looking around for a charging station the night before. And we found at a dealership, there was this little box on the wall. You almost didn't see it. It was one of like the regular chargers. And so we parked the car there and we plugged into that charger and we started to read our books and like 45 minutes went by and I think we went up like 4%. I was like, this is not happening. This is not going to work. We're going to be here all night. So we gave up. We went back to our, to our place. The next morning we left a little bit early and we found one of the Tesla supercharging stations conveniently located outside of a Target. So we parked the car and we plugged into one of these supercharging stations and we went in and I kid you not, like 20 minutes later, we come out and that car is fully charged. And I, w- I want you to understand this morning that when you tap into the power that is in Christ, the kind of power that Jesus gives you, it is not the regular kind of charging station. As a matter of fact, every other station, every other source that you might try to go to for power is just not going to get the job done. When you plug into Christ, it's like plugging into one of those superchargers. The power, it is strengthened with all power through his glorious might. Power upon power upon power, Paul says. That's what he has come to give to us. Stay plugged in. If you are running to another source, if you think that that relationship is going to be that source of strength and power for you, you are, you are misled. If you think that that career or a little bit more money or that influence or those friendships or that stuff in your life, if you're trying to plug into any other source to try to give you sustenance and power in your life, listen, you will be grossly disappointed. It is only through the power that Christ gives that we can live the kind of a spirit-filled life that Paul is praying for here. Jesus is my all when I connect to his power source. Number four, finally this morning, Jesus is my all when I celebrate what he's done. These last three verses, if I'm honest this morning, they could be an entire message in and of themselves. They are full. They are packed. They are powerful. I want to walk through this. Verse 12 This is what we celebrate, giving thanks to the Father. This is what we celebrate, three realities here of the gospel. Giving thanks to the Father who has, number one, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has, number two, delivered us from the domain of darkness. And number three, he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Do you understand just how power-packed those three verses are? This is the reality of the gospel. This is the reality of what Christ came to do for us. And so what do we do? We give thanks. We celebrate. We are grateful for these realities. Let's unpack each one of these realities of the gospel. Number one, we have been qualified to fit into the family. Notice the pronouns there in verse 12. He says, who has qualified you? That pronoun is important. The next two pronouns are going to be us. Paul's going to include himself. But he doesn't include himself in this first pronoun because he's speaking to non-Jews, Gentiles. Paul himself is a Jew, which means you could say it this way, Paul, because he was part of the elect chosen family of God as a a member of the Jewish community, Paul was pre-qualified. Not pre-saved, but pre-qualified. 
So now what he's saying to the non-Jewish people is you have now been qualified. You have, God has now made you fit to be brought into his human family. You can now be a part of the elect chosen people of God because of what Christ has done. Now it's not just for the Jews, now it's also for the Gentiles, which for most of us in this room, we're thankful for that. But then he says this, the second reality is that we have been delivered. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. There are two kingdoms at play, and we're going to start to see some of that language right here. We looked at this briefly last week as well. We're going to see it all through the book of Colossians. There are two kingdoms at play. There is a kingdom of darkness, and there is a kingdom of light. And what he is saying is that we were under bondage, under Satan's dominance and dominion. We were in his domain, in his kingdom. But Christ has delivered us. Mankind is in a spiritual battle of cosmic proportions. And for my Bible students this morning, let me just say that the depravity of man is not the only problem that we face. Yes, man sinned in the garden and death through Adam passed upon all of, all of us as we continue to choose to sin. But the depravity of man was not the only problem back in the early days of history. There was also the rebellion of God's divine counsel when a portion of those angelic beings fell under the leadership of Lucifer. And now those fallen angels have been hell-bent towards humanity seeking to oppress and seeking to keep us in our sin. And what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, or rather in 2 Corinthians, is that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So when Jesus came, yes, he came to rescue us from our sin, but understand, he also came to rescue us from Satan, from the domain of darkness. I was recently watching a docudrama, that's what it's called, by the way. I'm feeling like really knowledgeable by knowing that word. It was a docudrama based on a true story called 13 Lives. You may have seen, maybe you saw the docudrama, maybe, maybe you saw it in the news in 2018. There were 12 uh, young soccer players and their coach after a practice in Thailand. They went to explore a large, famous cave there in their town. And as they got deep into that cave in late June, monsoon season hit and flooded the cave. And so as they were deep in the recesses of that cave, way down in the earth, that cave began to flood and fill up. And those boys, after they were missing for some time, the parents went looking for them and they found their bikes at the mouth of that cave. And as they went down to explore that cave, the, 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 the deepest part that they could get to was already flooded. And so they quickly enlisted expert divers to dive down through the narrow caverns and pathways of that cave, deep into that cave. And after a six-hour dive, they found those 12 boys and that one coach still alive. News got out. Everybody started to celebrate. Everybody except for those divers. Because they knew the impossible severity of that situation. Now, I knew the end of that story as I was watching that particular show. I knew that those boys were going to get out. I knew that coach was going to get out. But as a dad of four boys, I was just all torn up inside watching that thing. And even knowing the end of the story, here's the reality of those boys and that coach down in that cave. They needed rescue. They didn't need assistance. 
They didn't need a little bit of help. They didn't need somebody to teach them how to dive. They didn't need a couple of classes to figure out how that they could submerge themselves for six hours and find their way out of that cave. It was impossible. They needed someone to do for them what they could not do for themselves. You'll have to watch it to see how they got out. I won't let you know because I don't want to spoil it for you. But when we think about what Christ did in crossing into enemy territory to the domain of darkness, he did not come over to give us some tips on how to find our way out. He did not come over to give us an improvement plan so that we could figure out how to get out of the clenches of the prince of darkness. No, he came and he dominated over that prince of darkness and he rescued us and then he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's what he did for us. We have a new address. We have a new location. We are no longer in bondage under the chains of darkness in the domain of Satan, but we have now been transferred to the kingdom of Christ. It's what he's done. And we have come this morning to celebrate that reality. He says, giving thanks. When's the last time you thanked God that he made you fit and that he qualified you for his family? When's the last time you thanked God for the deliverance and the rescue where he brought you out and then how he transferred you and brought you into the kingdom of his son? Every time we gather, we celebrate the gospel. Every time we, we partake of communion, we celebrate what Christ has done for us. Every time somebody gets plunged that trough that we put here up on the platform in baptism, for baptism, we celebrate the victory that is found in Christ. Every time somebody puts faith in Jesus, we celebrate what Christ has done. Just this past week, I had lunch with a young man, and he's in this room, so I won't call him out because I don't want to embarrass him. But he's been coming to City Point Church for three months, and on his first Sunday when he came to City Point Church, somebody, it was probably Paul, I don't know, put him right on the front row here. And it was his first time in a Christian church. He's been coming for three months. I've shared the gospel with him, and Joel shared the gospel with him, and Derek shared the gospel with him. And as I sat at lunch with him this past week, he looked at me, he said, John, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I went, I, I came back from that lunch, and I came into this auditorium, and I got on my face on this carpet, and I celebrated because that's something that only God can do. And four years ago, four and a half years ago, when God put it on the heart of Amy and me to come and to start a new church in Tempe, we didn't come here just to kind of set up shop and gather a few people into an auditorium and sing some songs that we like by our favorite artists. We came here to push back against the darkness and to watch as Jesus rescues people from Satan's domain and brings them into the kingdom of his dear son. And we fully expect and believe and know that God is going to continue doing that. We celebrate the good news of Jesus. Jesus, above all, begins when Jesus is my all. i got to tell you, church, I'm not interested in a little bit of Jesus. Give me the bigger bit. Pour me a bigger bowl. More. Of Christ. I'm not one that's trying to speculate or predict what God is doing, but I believe that something special is happening in our church. I sense that God is working and that God is moving. And as you study revival 
oftentimes you can see the fruit and the evidence of revival. But what revival is at its core is this, more Jesus. When Jesus is more to you than your sin, than your addictive habits, than your selfish patterns, than your job, than your stuff, than your dreams, when it's more of Jesus and more of Jesus and I want what he wants and I want to walk in his will and I want to be connected to his power and I want to celebrate what he's done and I just believe that God wants to revive his people first. God wants to send revival to this city but it's got to start with the people in this room. It's got to start with those who are already walking in the kingdom of light that God would have not just some of us but all of us and that we would leave this place different and changed as a result of our time together as a family and that we would go from this place and as little lights would spread into the darkness and make a difference for the kingdom of Christ. Jesus above all begins when he is my all. So my prayer for City Point Church is the same as Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. My prayer is that you would know what he wants what he truly, what his will is through the spiritual wisdom and understanding that his spirit gives. My prayer is that you would walk in his will, that there would be traction, that you wouldn't just know, but that you would also do. My prayer is that you would be connected to his power. Don't try to connect to any other source. It just doesn't get the job done. And then my prayer is that you would celebrate what he has done every day and every Sunday. Just keep celebrating and celebrating and celebrating the victory that is found in Christ. We want the Spirit of God to make application in our hearts and in our lives this morning. So I have two questions. As we learn to live, because we don't just want to learn to learn. We don't just want to fill up on information. We want to learn to live. My first question is this. Have you been rescued? See, my friend, that young man this week who said, I surrendered to Jesus, he sat in this room week after week after week and heard a question similar to this but eventually had to come to the point where he made that decision for himself. I'm not asking, are you looking for Jesus to give you some tips or to help you to rescue yourself? I'm not asking, are you spiritual? I'm not asking, are you religious? I'm asking, has Jesus come and done for you what you are incapable of doing for yourself? Which is to rescue you, just as those divers had to rescue those little boys out of that cave. There was no way in their own strength that they could have done that. Have you put faith in Christ? Have your sins been forgiven and removed? Have you been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light? And if you were here this morning and you would say, John, I'm just not sure. I just don't know. I don't think that's happened in my life. It's not overcomplicated. If you will by faith just simply surrender to Jesus right now, right now in your seat, just say, God, I'm yours. I'm done trying. I'm done working. I'm done trying to make this in my own effort. I'm done trying to save myself and rescue myself. I need you to deliver me. And if you will, by faith, trust in Jesus alone, then he will do for you what he's done for so many others in this room. Not because we're special, but because he is. It's because it's what he does. He rescues those who are in bondage. And so if you've not been rescued, I would urge you, I would plead with you, I would call for you this morning to let Christ make that change in your life. And then my second question, if you have been rescued, if you are a follower of Jesus, my question for you is this, where do you need more Jesus?
I understand you get all of Jesus at salvation. I'm not saying that. But, but where does he need to fill up a little bit more? Where does he need to have control a little bit more? Where have you been? You said, Jesus, you can have, you can have all this of my life, but you can't have this of my life. Identify that area of your life and then give that over to him as well. It's going to take repentance. It's going to take confession. It's going to take surrender. And while those things may not be easy, they are always worth it. Let Christ be your all. I'm just not interested in a little bit of Jesus. But I want him to have full control of my life. Can we pray together? Father, we come to you this morning. We recognize our inability and our insufficiency. That apart from you, we can do nothing. I thank you for this paragraph and this text of scripture where we get an insight into Paul's prayer and this prayer that was desiring to see the people of God know what you want and walk in your will and be connected to your power and be celebrating the victory that is found in your gospel. And Lord, I wanna pray that for our church, that we would, just, we would not be just an average, ordinary, little bit of Jesus kind of a church, but that we would be the kind of people that are walking in your spirit and knowing what you want and surrendering to your power and to your will and celebrating the victory that is found in Christ. And I wanna pray this morning that if there is somebody here in this room under the sound of my voice who has not truly put faith in Christ, I pray that even now, maybe they're wrestling with you. Maybe they've got their excuses or their skepticism and their reasons to say, I don't know that I could believe. But I pray that even now, they would yield and surrender to you and allow you to be the Lord of their life, to rescue them and to transfer them to the kingdom of your beloved son. We will trust you to do that. We will trust you to do that work. And then may each one of us who are your followers today, may we allow your spirit full reign so that all of our life is yielded to all of your will. And we'll thank you for what you do in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.